and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Typical Septic Podcast. gentlemen thank you for joining me for another episode of the typical septic podcast i have the legend back with me dr richard allen miller today we're going to be talking about everything from the paranormal to structured water to altered states of consciousness to spirits and ghosts i mean that's kind of what's on my agenda to talk to him about um but first we're going to talk a little bit about like cancer prevention and and what we can do because there, there are things out there i want to ask him about what he thinks about lycopene and ginger but the one thing that you guys hear me talk about a lot on this show is beta glucans and i want to ask him about what he thinks about that because he's an herbalist he knows herbs and he knows things but let me tell you a little bit more about my guest he's a renowned physicist metaphysicist polymath herbalist author inventor and much more doc ram or richard allen miller is a living legend and and he's has a new book it's called the non-local mind in a holographic universe we talked about that last time his real life was based on the character of fox Mulder. he's met an alien before we're going to talk about that too if we get time but i want to introduce him i want to give him a big warm welcome to the show D doc ram thank you for coming back on the show how are you <laughs> i'm i'm <laughs> I'm going bald from unnatural causes. My girlfriend shaved me off, and now she's making a voodoo doll out of my hair. <laughs> I had a ponytail of 47 years, and she went, Snip! and it changed my entire life. <laughs> hair is important. Is, was that your like your uh, part of your identity? You feel your ponytail? Well, you back in I have a picture of my passport when I went into behind the Iron Curtain back in 1972, and I had long hair and a goatee. I was real creepy looking back then. Long hair and a goatee. And uh, I, can you imagine? <laughs> I was a SEAL, uh, SEAL Team 1. Uh, I was the team leader, and I was going to Peking to do some boxing. And I had to go in through Luxembourg. I was in Prague, then went up into Moscow, and then down to uh, Peking. I got to St. St. See St. Petersburg, Edith, of all the cities in the world, I think St. Petersburg is one of the most beautiful, even over Prague. You it's know, I love the fact that you're into martial arts. Like, that's one thing me and you have in common. I, you know, I was a big, I'm now, it's evolved, I'm into mixed martial arts, which is like the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. But I love all the traditional forms, too. Like, I remember you were telling me you met Frank Dukes and stuff like that, and I couldn't believe it because they made that movie Bloodsport after him, you know? And uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, Dukes was two weights above me when he boxed in Peking. And uh, possibly, he was, in my humble opinion, possibly the best kickboxer the world's ever known. When I was a child, I grew up in the Philippines. That's where I learned how to fight. In 1948, I was Caucasian. And they would hoard on you, I mean, you know, because of the color. And I learned how to fight real good. And when I came to uh, the United States uh, in fourth grade, my father put me in John Leong's studio in downtown Seattle. And John Leong had only four students. There was Bruce Lee, Skip Ellsworth, Fred Williams, 
and myself. <laughs> and I was grateful in that after I'd had almost 18 years of Hangal, which is a dragon form, uh, I encountered uh, Chan Te Chung, who was a Sifu out of Victoria that would come down to, not, to Seattle once a week to teach Tai Chi. And he did double yang style. And he met me and decided to teach me differently and gave me some secrets on how to change my perception of time with breathing, which is one of the power tools I train Navy SEALs. Because once you can do that, you can take your, your, your boxing to a paranormal level because everything is with the precision of slow motion. And is that like using chi? Like, because I, I was I was going to ask you about chi and prana, and like you know how people use reiki and tai chi uses energy, and I've seen people move buckets with their hands, but from here, well, yeah, way, and that, people, you know, like it's amazing, and I feel like that's kind of what differentiates us from animals, right, or something like. Well, the the the, the West always deals in absolutes, Daddy. I hate this, Daddy. I love that. And I used to work from a more Eastern school of preference, referenced the one within the other, the yin within the yang. You know, you have the power tool of, you know, how you're doing a ward off. That's a yin yang symbol. And with that comes the softness of the yang and the yin. And so everything in the East was in reference to something else. And the way I would say that to my daughter was, well, I'll bet I could find something you don't like even worse. <laughs> she would get that. But most people don't realize that Tai Chi is the same form as Hangao, except that you're doing it slowly and with precision instead of with speed and power, you know, momentum. Um, if you have the movement correctly, you can use a person's energy against themselves. Like if they push your right shoulder with a blow, pushing it like this, my left arm is immediately going right through their ribs. Wham. You know, it just passes right through you. That is a concept in China that puts their forms of martial arts year, millennia above, you know, karate. I had uh, Shinru karate, uh, and I studied with some very powerful people, but it's always in a straight move, movement where you're going straight in, whereas in Chinese, you're working off of circles. Yeah. Which means it's a far superior form of boxing. And um, the, 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 well, the speed is arbitrary because it's experienced in the breath that you're doing. <laughs> or, <sighs> you know, it's, okay. Yeah. That is the distinction of where you, where I became world champion with double sword. If I had two swords, you couldn't take me with a bow. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you create, a, you create a field in front of you that the bow can't penetrate. With two swords you're extending your chi out another 30 inches yeah 
that's that's like using to chi and prana and you have a new book you have two new books out since i last talked to you you have esp out and that's in the holographic mind series it seems like because it's and then you have power tools out right well, uh, there's that's a series that i did with esp was the first protocol i did with navy seals um i was at mission control in 1971 to do the esp studies for nasa with ed mitchell and that was then the first protocol i used to to select which people would be seal team one i measured their 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 enteric nervous system or their instinct yeah. when you come from that place for decision making you by by definition do not make mistakes and that led to the second book in the series which was called power tools for the 21st century and these are the eight protocols i use to make seals superman or you know above normal in whatever way they did it and a holographic universe is taking all of that into um a way of being and what's important in our lives and you know it, i talk about structured water i talk about you know like in the northern hemisphere your water always goes down the drain in a, in, in a counterclockwise stirring, which means if you stir your coffee with your, you know, whatever you're putting in it, you know, sugar or whatever, milk, um, I put hot chocolate, it, it makes it, uh, it restructures the water. And that means more of it will go into the, into the body rather than the urine. I have and that's what you're trying to do. You, uh, you sent me your book um, and you signed it and I love it. And I read about the easy water and the Jerry Pollock water. Can you explain to the fans what that is? Like, There's many different forms of water. Um, you have, uh, first you start with uh, para and ortho water, which is para and ortho have to do with the levorotary of which way the dipole moment is, H2O is either going to the left or the right. You've got para and ortho waters in that regard. And then you have isotopes of deuterium and tritium. And deuterium uh, is the, what was used, if you read in the structured water part, uh, what was what 9-11 and that building, building, what was it, building seven that collapsed? Uh, that was, yeah, that was an experiment on a new weapon that is now being deployed everywhere. It's called a, uh, a neutron fullerene fusion bomb. Fullerenes, of course, are, you know, structured carbons like a C60 or a C120 with structured water in it. And that is possibly the finest antioxidant anybody can get. It will bioremediate uh, nuclear radiation from rats. They did studies on that. It's unbelievable. So. What structured water is, is H2O3. It has an extra oxygen molecule, uh, H2O, H2O2, uh, H2O, uh, H3O2. And it's different than hydrogen peroxide. And it has, uh, again, bioremediating properties that allow, uh, 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 what it does is it's what touches anything. Water, when it touches anything, immediately identifies what it's touching by what 
the structure of the water becomes, which is it, usually there's different forms of it, like H7O9 with a free radical ion. That's Willard water or uh, three molecules of water that are structured and then an ion that that's what they say feels so good about a waterfall. It's that ion, you know, that ion. What you're um, after is that activation because when it touches something like that, it structures the water and all of that water is like an antioxidant that surrounds and uh, protects uh, that water molecule. And what it does is it can wrap itself around toxins and up they go in the you know in your urine or, or in your stool. So how do we get that? How can we how can the, the 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 average man get that kind of water? Is it possible? Well yeah you make it yourself. And you just stir the water in the opposite direction. You can do it with a blender or anything. You just stir the water in the opposite direction? Yeah then then the hemisphere you're in. Right. In the southern hemisphere, the water will go down clockwise, which means you would want to stir it counterclockwise. What you're doing is uh, counteracting Coriolis forces on the water. So I'm on the east coast. What does that mean? Like what, that I'm means gonna... you're still in the western hemisphere and you want to stir your coffee clockwise. So I stir it. This well, you you can't tell. From hey, well, I'm... which way does it go down the drain? It goes down the drain. Uh, I'm trying to counterclockwise. That's right. Yeah. So you want to start clockwise to restructure it back into its original form. So let me ask you this. What do you think about Real alkaline simple. water? What, do you, what are your thoughts on alkaline water? Do you think it's better? Well, yeah, well, acidic water is neutral, which means that you're talking about things that are in it, with it, like an acid or an alkaline of some kind, salts or, or so on. And um, your body is more often acidic. And so drinking alkaline water brings your pH back to neutral, which means things function more properly. You can do that by testing yourself with just litmus paper in your mouth. See what, whether it's acidic or, or alkaline. That'll tell you. That's why we like uh, apple cider vinegar and things of that nature. That's why they're so healing, because it's the alkaline process in the body that's mostly acidic. Wow. Okay. So I, okay, I was one because I drink. Yeah. A lot well, of your body wants to be neutral to have everything functioning correctly. It's not. You know, you've got body acids and other kinds of fluids and things that you're eating that cause it to become acidic. That's why you have indigestion and things of that nature. And yeah. what you're trying to do is make it more acidic so that it's balanced. That's yeah. why alkaline, you know, you know, al you know, apple cider vinegar, things of that nature are really good for you. I drink a lot of alkaline water. I mean, I, that's mostly, but I wanted to ask you, getting to health stuff, I wanted to ask you about the beta-glucans because to me, I've been I've been taking them because I told you my dad had cancer and I'm looking for precautionary members. I mean, I, I've supplemented with gin. Your father would do well just having the polysaccharides, which are even more important than beta-glucans. Water comes in many forms. You've got a you know, water molecule that's about this size, and then you have beta-glucans, which are, they look like small viruses, uh, uh, excuse me, small bacteria or large viruses. They're, you know, they have a structure to them. And then beta-glucan polysaccharides are huge long molecules, you know, that have over 100 oxygen molecules on it. And when that breaks down, 
it releases oxygen into the body on a cellular level. Now your body can generate its own cold fusion processes with ATP, adenosine triphosphate is a little quark gluon plasma that's turned on by oxygen. And you take a polysaccharide and then go lift weights, you are going to break your own record. Now beta-glucans are a little more complex and they look very similar to large viruses or, or small bacteria. And if you take that with, uh, with uh, um, a transfer factor, it'll take that polysaccharide, I mean that beta-glucan and place it on, on your cell looking for lookalike incoming bacteria or viruses. And it will bioremediate things like cancer and reverse those processes. Basically cancer is where the cell makes a mistake in its generation. And while you're constantly making mistakes, you do not want it to continue making mistakes. And that's what a beta-glucan will do, like releasing NK killer cells in terms of your immune system enhancement. That's what it does, it in, in enhances your own immune system. Well, I got a question. And all, there are 72 primary mushrooms. Are the, uh, the, 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 the beta-glucan comes in mushrooms. Yep, and I, what I happened? Have a, I have a mix here, I have reishi, maitake, chaga, turkey tail, cordyceps, and lion's mane. It's in this thing called fresh cap. I don't know if you can see that. And it's all the fruiting body. So am I getting polysaccharized in this? Yeah, I'm, you're, you're breaking up a little bit. I said, I have this, this compound. It's, um, can you hear me? It's um, maitake mushroom, chaga, turkey tail, reishi, cordyceps, and lion's mane. Now, am I getting yeah, polysaccharized? Cordyceps, yeah. Or am I getting um, all right, cordyceps. Yeah. Yeah, there are 72 of them from Rishi, Mayataki, and, and Shiataki. All these different mushrooms have beta-glucans and polysaccharides. What you're after when you mix a bunch of those pharmaceutical mushrooms is the beta-glucan, because each one has maybe 20 or 30 different kinds of beta-glucans. And if you mix them with 20 mushrooms, well, now you've got 200 different look-alike bacteria and you know that sit on and release those NK killer cells. That's as an immune system. But in my humble opinion, I personally feel the polysaccharides are even more important in the pharmaceutical mushroom because what they're doing is releasing oxygen and you can't get enough oxygen into your body. That's what makes your cold fusion and makes everything else run correctly. And so, well, what I've done, I hybridized cordyceps to be five and a half times stronger than you'd find in nature. I made a GMO out of it, and that is unbelievable. Now, reishi and maitake, they grow wild in your neighborhood. And these are things that you could be adding to your diet as a regular supplement, like you might oil or vinegar or other kinds of things you want to do to balance your diet. That's another one I would do, would be these pharmaceutical mushrooms. It's the beta-glucans and the polysaccharides, both the sugars that are so important to you, natural sugars.
Yeah, natural occurring I, I heard the yeah. reason where I got that from is I heard Cliff High talking about it before. He said that he had, I, he said that he had cancer before, and they removed a large portion of it, and then um, he started supplementing with the beta glucans because he heard that it could, uh, you know, eliminate some cancer. That's where I heard about that. You know, right. um, now I wanted to bring up some paranormal stuff because I know you. Well, wrote- there's all chapters in that, and I'll send you an article I wrote on it. For your own, you know, you can post it for your your listeners if they'd like to read that. It's actually really an incredible power tool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that that's that's amazing. Yeah. Now I I wanted to get into paranormal because I know you worked a lot with the paranormal when you worked for the military, or I know you still work for the military, but but when you you know when you were doing your sci research, like yeah, the, it's a, the actually yeah the sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the oxygen is the bottom line, and the beta glucans are extra. They 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 enhance, but I, for me, the polysaccharides are what you're after. You you, get, you can get polysaccharides in your body. Your body can't get enough oxygen, and when it breaks down on a cellular level, now you're able to turn on your ATP. And when you're turning on ATP, well then, that's where it all happens. That cold fusion, that little quark gluon plasma there. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so um, when you, I wanted to get into the paranormal a little bit. Um, remember I asked you earlier before we got in the show, I was listening to an old Art Bell show and I heard a paranormal researcher say that in haunted areas, he was introducing electric char- electronic charges and getting more paranormal activity. What is, does this sound right? And does you think this might work? Well, it's, it's what it's doing is it's changing the water in the atmosphere that you're breathing. Okay. Again, that's, yeah, the, the primary thing with your carbon-based life forms, water and oxygen are critical and in terms of any of the processes. And so that's what you're trying to do is with using this electrostatic field, like uh, even Reich and did with Orgon and or uh, uh, Tesla, that, that will activate the water in the atmosphere and make it making it breathable and more more enhancing for a breath. So does that is it would, would that would that like make like something that's not alive me, me be able to be more in our atmosphere? Do you think like a spirit? Or- <laughs> you know what is life? I, I'm not sure I understand what life is yet. You know what you know animate <laughs> or inanimate? Um, oxygen and in the water. And water itself, the hydrogen and oxygen relationship, um, should probably have its own periodic chart because it comes in many different forms and many different phases. And phases of water uh, vary. Like on Mars, the phase of water is different than it would be on Earth. And that, again, is covered in in the Power Tools book, talking about the different phases of water. Um, there, you know, when it goes, when it's a when it's a liquid, a gas. Or or uh, or a solid. Yeah. Now I wanted to ask you about the this uh, the when you uh, you saw an encounter with an alien and it traveled to an underground Antarctic Nazi. Oh. Base. <laughs> can you talk yeah. about that? Uh, okay, I, I I can as limitedly uh, because well, let me give you a little history. Back in the seventies, we knew about aliens, but at that time, we were way more concerned with what Russia was doing. That's the so-called psychic discoveries era. And we're, you know, it was during the space race 
and going into space and the farce of, of you know trying to get through the ionosphere you know the reason they had such serious countdowns we'll get to your question like five four three what is that the heliosphere or not the heliosphere that's the sun the the um van allen belt is uh toxic you can't get through it unless you punch a hole and we didn't have harp or some of the other things back then and we had to do it with certain kinds of uh radioscopes that would blow a hole through the atmosphere just before a liftoff so the astronaut could get safely through that thing even so at the end of his trip he was probably sterilized nothing in space is safe there's no way to shield oneself from the radiation and gamma rays and neutrons and all the rest of the garbage that's out there it's uh that's why we have the van allen belt and this protective sphere on the earth the sun even has a protective thing called the heliosphere that protects the sun and then our solar system has the earth cloud and you know that bubble around the solar system these i don't know whether these are natural or not it almost feels like we're in a petri dish yeah i mean i don't know that but right? that's what it feels like this thing with gmos and and human beings I'm sorry. I said it seems like we're in a simulation. I think we Say have again? a delay. I said. I said. It's, I said. It's I didn't hear you. A simulation. Are we? Do we have a delay? Yeah. Well, I remember when it was. It was. Yeah, I remember when it was Neanderthal versus uh, Cro-Magnon, and now we've got humans versus GMOs. I. Uh, I think there's something else going on here, and. Um, I want to ask the petri dish. I feel like I'm David Copperfield with an empty bowl and I'm hungry and I'm telling the Lord, please, sir, is there something more than the physical plane to eat? <laughs> you know, I don't believe the physical plane. Well, I don't think the physical plane is real. Uh, I'm working now with two Russians on working on a new field theory um, on the multiverse. And um, I'm writing that that will supersede my holographic universe by 48 years when I wrote that before. And basically my field equations are saying that we are hallucinating so badly that at any given moment, if time isn't real, what does that make your son? And if your son is, according to my equations, your son is you at that very moment that made a different decision on what to put on your cereal that morning. And if you chose to look at your child that way or your father that way, imagine the kind of dialogue that would take place in terms of realization. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, it's so, that's so deep. That's, that's really deep. I mean, because it makes me think of what, what are we actually living in, right? Like, what is this? And well, the multiverse, is you and how many decisions did you make just today that multiverse is all the universes of you making different decisions and what it led to so do you think this is like consciousness wanting to experience itself do you think like god or the source is like they well, say we're trying to wake up but say 
I watched That's About Space, the multiverse. And space is not any more real than time is. It's a concept. And I watched astrology become astronomy. And now it's leading to cosmobiology or geometric formation of, 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 of celestial bodies. And Uranus, I did a study in 1974 with the Department of Interior uh, on earthquake hazards. The idea of a cosmobiology had come out of Yanif and his lunar sex cycle of the female, where when a woman is born, an engram is set into her DNA on when she ovulates with phases of the moon, which means if she moves to a different part of the earth, that ovulation cycle changes. And that part is real creepy because basically uh, that we have a form of birth control now. And the one I did was to use a 360 and vet when Carrington-like events occur is when the planet Uranus and Earth and the Sun are in a specific geometric alignment. And the reason they did the, the, the uh, Parker dives last winter was to determine when the solar minimum and this weather change that we're now experiencing, when it would trigger this Carrington-like event because Uranus, Earth, and the Sun are in that alignment, you know, maybe as long as maybe four or five years. And when does it actually happen? And that's based on the solar minimum, which just began. And so our calculations suggest that we may have a Carrington-like event sometime between March and April of 2024. Which and when I say Carrington-like, that means life extinction, you know, where oh, wow. large quantities of life are lost. Why, why, why would that happen, though? What do you think is going to happen? Well, that would probably be that volcano on the West Coast. It'd be that volcano off of Crescent City out in the water going off and dropping I-5 into the ocean all the way down. Oh, wow. That's probably what's going to happen. I-5 is going to break off with uh, the different uh, fall lines that are in California and going right on down into Mexico and Central America. Well, do you, I thought- the Pacific they, Plate moving. I was thinking, I listened to a lot of different historians and I know that we've had cataclysms in the past and it seems like civilizations have been wiped out in the past and then we've restarted and it's like we have- yeah. You know, like starting all over again. It's going to happen again. Yeah. And and what do you think that says about real? Yes, it's like epochs. That's what they call an epoch. And the quote of "We've been here before," where the human race reaches a certain level of development and it's pushed back to zero in spaceflight. Now there are also breakaway civilizations. And that's what I'm going to be teaching uh, this year at Omniversity up in British Columbia. There's a university up there online that I'm going to be offering courses on how to break away and, you know, get out of the Petri dish. That's what I'm about. Well, where are these breakaway civilizations? You've got to tell me. Well, I can't tell you because I don't know. Uh, but I can say this. Greg Baer, B-A-E-R, is a science fiction writer that wrote three books on epoch, where the epoch occurs on Earth, and just before it occurs, 
aliens show up and choose 144,000 to witness the death of mother from space. And that's your breakaway. Wow. As a metaphor. Wow. And it's just, you know, Epoch and Aeon. Yeah. And I'm going to say that we reach a certain level of development and we're called. And then started, they re redo the Petri dish and start all over again, this time with GMO rather than humans. Well, do you think that this... I don't know. <laughs> a metaphor. Well, I, no, it's, I, I understand. Do you think this is like a, a thing that's just... Do you think reincarnation and, and life is just a thing that's just constantly happening? Like, do you think this... Well, is reincarnation is a confabulation because if time isn't real, what does reincarnation imply? I don't know that we just keep coming back like that, that like we're, we're well time isn't real it's a duration of consciousness it's the way you store memory so, you never, so what you're saying is you never really die you just take another form or something else going on that we haven't been able to describe conceptually yeah yeah how many ants are on your property who's terraforming it more <laughs> Orca. Orca has a cerebral cortex that's twice the size of man, and that mammal has access to nine-tenths of the biosphere, where man only has access to one-tenth. Who's superior? I guess the orca, because if we go... In well, the it's the way you choose to look at something, and the correct response on that would be, I wouldn't have seen it if I hadn't have believed it. Yeah. <laughs> We're very limited. I've watched Orca chase dolphin as food chain. Well, wait, I, I heard you say this in another podcast. I heard you say you saw an elephant paint a picture of itself with its trunk. Yeah, they, they have a smaller brain case, and yet they have a sense of self that's beyond our own. Like a dog, instinctual. That's what makes a dog so wonderful as a companion. Yeah. It has instinct. It's coming from a place where you don't make mistakes by definition. Well, wait, let me ask you this. Why do you think it is that supposedly we can have these like mystical experiences and remote view and astral travel? Like there's something more about the human psyche than, than and, and, and we don't know. If there's all happen. kinds of travel. But, 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 but no, but, but, but what I'm saying is like everything, I, um, everything in general, 1980, all, the, all the things that we have, like chi, out-of-body experiences, all the things that humans can do that are mystical, that has to make us something superior, right? Or, or it has to make us special, well, you would think, or no? Or, no what do you, what do you well, there's astral projection is a way of traveling. And remote viewing is slightly different. And soul travel that you would find in Satmat, where you go home for a brief moment, is another form of travel. And in 1983, in a book I'm going to write called Yogatronics, I did the Mars Project, where I actually created a worm, my own wormhole and visited Mars. Now, is that real? It was to you. I, you know, it's hard to answer that because... Anything you could possibly imagine is real. Reality is not what you think it is. It's about the mind's eye. Yeah. That's chapter eight in my, in my non-local minds book. The mind's eye, where imagination becomes reality. You create your own reality 
by your own imagination of what's possible. And if you're a paranoid, you can count on spooks and goblins. <laughs> That's why you train the mind to be used as a tool. That's the purpose of meditation. If you let it run rampant, who knows where it's going to go with the way media and everything else is directing your attention. Have you ever heard of like nano worms and uh, parasites that supposedly they can put in our, our brains like that act like a yes. demonic entity? That's <laughs> just, again, it's your imagination that's making them real. Yeah, yeah. And reality isn't really reality. It's yeah. the limitation of what you can conceptualize. And there are other life forms on this earth that are, in my humble opinion, more advanced technically than man. And dolphin. Yeah. Well, dolphin. You know, I mean, and the pilot whale and manatee, all four of those cetaceans have larger brain cases than man does. And you've got to give it credence that technology has many faces to it. But a dolphin can't have a mystical experience. It can't have a... It can't have chi. We have chi, right? We have chi. It's something we have. We can use. We have chi or prana, whatever you want to call it, life force. You know, we have that. Well, it's another sensory motor input that we haven't yet described in terms of the five senses. It's yeah. thinking with the gut or the enteric nervous system where you're working with instinct or just... You, the first thought that ever comes into your head is usually always the most correct one. Yeah, because that's instinct, right? And that's why you listen to your interior. You, you try to listen to what you're thinking. Witnessing is what they call that, where you're watching yourself. Watch yourself. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, uh, so, uh, so you think this is all just like, just about that, like, you think that, like, I guess to, to sum it up, like mystical experiences, chi, astral travel, all, all the things that we can't really explain just happen to be, just happen by circumstance, that they just have to be like, um, that they happen to be. Well, like, they're happening all the time. You're just not noticing them because you've been told, look, children over here, look, children over here. Our educational processes are dumbing down possibly our most important natural resource, our children. Yeah. You were, you They're were, way smarter than we are. Why would we want them to become us? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to yeah. ask you a question I thought was important real quick. Like, but, uh, I, when I heard you on another show, you were talking about the, the Babylonian star maps and the names of demons. And how do you, uh, well, I was yes. ask you how to use sigils, but like, because you know a lot about magic. And I've never, we, 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 well, sigil magic, yeah, sigil magic is about 400 years old. It's golden dawn, culminated it with uh, William and Westcott and, you know, some of the other members there where they used sigil magic. And it was Crowley that moved uh, the concepts of sigil magic out of, out of, out of that arena. And we started working with other more basic forms. I'm writing a book right now on tarot. And my book is going to be titled The Magical and Ritual Use of Metaphor, Archetypal Gods in Daily Living. Now, basically what I'm saying to you is the Greek had, the Greek pantheon was their highest form of technology where they developed the concept of archetypes. 
you know, where we have metaphor. What is your metaphor? But to serve your paradox. There it is. What is a metaphor? Well, basically, I'm going to suggest that there are 22 stories in the big city and that you are either possessed, which means you have only one storyboard going on, or you're complexed, more than one. And mostly all of us are complex. We have more than one storyboard going on, usually five or six primaries. Persephone having to go to Hades each year would be a kid taking drugs once a year because he's depressed at Christmas. Storyboard, why are you doing that? Each one of those stories has an ending. If you don't like the ending, like having to go to hell each year, that's what pathworking is about, where you change the movie. Yeah. That's going to be my book on tarot. It's not as much about the cards and fortune telling as identifying the archetypes that you're currently following. And why? I have a deck of tarot right here. I have the uh, I have the um, the rider weight. And these are, oh, the, yeah. uh -huh. you know, like the, that I, would be, uh, that would be uh, this book right here. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's real cool. Except mine's the first edition. <laughs> that, that's yeah. probably worth some money, right? And the magician. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry? That's probably, those books are probably worth some money. Like they're Say again? I said those books are probably worth some money. They're first editions, right? You can't hear? Oh, it doesn't. It's not worth money as much as it is worth value to me and its use. Yeah. Well, what what did, what do they say in there about tarot? Like, because I'm I'm so interested in it. Like, I wonder how it works when you deal out the cards, and it 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 always pertains to your life, right? It always seems to pertain to like something. Well, there are different kinds of throws. Yeah. The basic throw that Crowley did was three cards, you know, your past, your present, and your future. And when you throw your past card, where you're coming from, and to the present, then you put a card across it, and that's what caused that path. And then when you throw the third card down, then you'd have three more cards that pull out that give you detail on that. And then you pull one out of the random, and you throw it down, and that card is how you control the situation so that you use your future as something that you're taking control of and purpose, with purpose. Now, that's a different way of looking at the tarot than reading your fortune of why you're going to acquire some money and you're going to meet a girl and you're going to get married and it's not going to work very good and blah, 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 blah. You know, that is old school. Crowley did a transition into, you know, with... <laughs> and I'm basically the physicist that hasn't yet blown myself up like Jack Parsons did. <laughs> I don't have any trolls running around like L. Ron Hubbard and some of the others. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to use the tarot as a way of identifying who you are and why you behave the way you do. And if you don't like that, then you choose an archetype that you'd like to become, and it gives you the metaphor of how to get there. Now. Today, what we have are the squares where you're a thinking, intuitive, or you're, you know, you got a choice of four different ways of being in psychology. And I, I think that there is more going on and more complexity to it than that. And so I'm going to use the tarot card as the first step toward making magic 
a legitimate study in the field of physics. That's so cool. I think that's really cool. I want to ask you this back on sigils for a second. Like, why I don't know how it's going to all play, but stay tuned. It's only 11. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to ask you a question. Like, what, why would sigils backfire if they would? Or is that just my mind thinking it backfired? Well, they don't backfire. Basically, what you had were what they call magic squares. Uh, and you can read this and how the magic squares work in a book called, uh, what is it called? It's, uh, uh, oh, I've been reading so many books so many for so many years. Uh, it, is, um, a, it is a someone's diary uh, that they wrote. Oh, gosh, I can't. Uh, I'm, that's my age now showing itself. I haven't used it for so long. Basically, sigils come from Babylonian star maps where you have a magic square. And Uranus, for example, would have seven, seven figures across by seven across in numerous. And what you do is you outline the demon's name like Beelzebub, B-A-L, you know, and you move it around and a, a geometry comes out of it. And that corresponded to Babylonian star map, and they equated those 72 to the Lamegaton, or the fallen angels. Of, uh, and you'll notice that there are 72 cards in the tarot deck, and it goes on and on and on. Wait, like I have a question. The numerology, at one time being called, um, you know, uh, Gematria, wait, the I Book of Formation, which is one of the Bibles. Uh, all right, so when I do a sigil, it tells you to... Uh, Right. I don't know if this is just a, well, the way they tell you to do it. But they, I can't understand you. Say again. They, when you do a sigil, they say to take, put in the consonants and take out the letters or the vowels. They say to take out the vowels when you're drawing your sigil. Does that automatically, will that draw like a demon's name? Like, will that draw a Babylonian star map without me knowing it? Or Demons what? are a concept. Yeah, the demons are a concept, again, of men's limitation of grasping they're you know they're not real god in my god well yeah they are because you believe in them but uh that's you're the one giving them life well, and what, what that's what i'm trying to say there are many gods in the heavens here you know you talk about uh uh kether which is our you know in the tree of life which is yad he vahe but Yo, Yahweh was first, and then there was Yad Hevahe, and then you had the veils of Isis. You know, Ain, Ain, Sof, and Ain, Sof, Ur. Uh, 